Hot Girls Wanted is a documentary looking at the realities of the pornography industry and the steady stream of young females entering it. The film played at the Sundance Film Festival last weekend. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, and today on Noon Edition, we'll speak with Debbie Urbanik from the Indiana University School of Public Health and Bryant Paul from the Indiana University Department of Communications. Both contributed research to the film. We will discuss what the film revealed about the industry and what the takeaway was. And we invite you to join the conversation after this hour's news. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And uh, today we're going to talk about a film that, that de- made its debut last week at the, at the uh, Sundance Film Festival. Faculty from Indiana University and the Kinsey Institute contributed to the film Hot Girls Wanted, which debuted at Sundance over the weekend. The film takes a look at the realities of the amateur porn world and the stream of young females entering it. Our guests today are Debbie Urbenik, who's with the School of Public Health. She's also a research fellow uh, and works with the Kinsey Institute. And also Bryant Paul, a professor in the Indiana University Department of Telecommunications, which is now part of the media school, and also a faculty affiliate from the Kinsey Institute. If you want to join us on the program today, please give us a call at 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can even follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So welcome, both of you. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thanks. Debbie's been here before, and you work in the building. So. I do. So. <laughs> and just back this from Sundance. Just That's so exciting. Yeah, I, the uh, it says you both contributed research to the film, but you are in fact listed as co-producers of the film on the on the uh, in the credits. So um, I guess we just need to start sort of from the, the beginning and how this film originated and how both of you got involved with it. Debbie? Yeah, so some time ago, um, the directors, Jill and Rana, reached out, and they, I uh, can't remember if they called or sent an email, but they, um, you know, wanted to talk about a documentary that they were putting together. And at the time, the documentary, was, the idea was a bit different. It was to look at young people in sexuality, so college students specifically. Their first film, Sexy Baby, had been about more like tweens, middle school mm-hmm. aged kids and how technology was shaping, you know, their their development and their growing up um, with some aspects of it relating to sexuality. So this was a natural next step for them. Um, you know, what do slightly older young women experience and so on. Um, but as, as that uh, work developed, they just found that so many of the college students that they were talking to were watching a very wide range of porn on the internet and types of porn that that they certainly didn't remember you know maybe being around and that that these some of the kids were sort of laughing about it and some of the porn that they were laughing about was pretty aggressive um and so it just got them very curious you know what are what are young people looking at and then for the industry who even gets involved in this industry in the first place? So it was really just some, a lot of questions that they had, um, and once they took that turn, I said, "Well, if you're, you know, if you're getting into that area, you've got to talk to Brian Paul because he's here at IU and he knows so much about this topic." And they wanted to come out and meet with me anyway. So I said, "You know, Brian's coming and guest lecturing in my class. Why don't you come out the day that he's there?" And so that's really how we all got connected and started working together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, the question, you know, who gets involved in this industry? I, that that leads to the question why and why you know and so absolutely Brian? well you know <clears throat> and I'm, I apologize for my I, I am struggling um, what's interesting about the film is that they really show that 
average everyday people. Uh, you know, the the uh, the girl next door really can and does get involved with uh, the industry these days. And um, it really, I think, one of the things that really people take away from can take away from the film is that it's not your parents or even your older brothers or sisters pornography industry anymore. Um, things have really changed since the internet uh, took over in the last 10 to 15 years. It really has changed substantially. Um, and I think another point that the film really tries to make is that the sort of um, the inundated sexual nature of the mass media um, market that, that these kids, the kids are growing up in now, um, makes almost performative sex somewhat of a next step for them. And so it's not seen as that awkward. What was really interesting when we were screening the film, I thought, was the difference in reactions from older um, uh, viewers and younger viewers. The younger viewers would, would come out and honestly say, oh, that didn't seem that bad. Um, and some of the older viewers would say, well, so what's the answer? Chaining our children to the floor so that they can't go out on the weekends uh, to make sure that they're protected. And obviously, neither of those are exactly the rea reaction that we want to have. So who gets involved? Back to your question. Mm -hmm. um, anyone these days. Uh, and um, it really depends on a number of factors, but it's not typically the, the cliched uh, bad background abused um, little parental involvement. The, they, we depict, uh, there are girls depicted in the film who are, had perfectly uh, nice upbringings with very obviously caring parents, very involved parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how has the porn industry changed, as you said, from our from the traditional or, or what m many of us middle-aged folks grew up with? Right. I, I think it's decentralized in a lot of ways. The Internet has allowed small players to get in. Mm -hmm. um, and these small players are, of course, then bought up and, and, and used by um, – not I don't want to say used by, but, but uh, work through a lot of large conglomerates uh -huh. as well. But it, it, what's, what's – the opportunity is for anybody to get involved now. Mm -hmm. And so um, where there used to be sort of a, a larger star system, uh, uh, you know, larger uh, organizations, companies like Vivid and Adam and Eve and those types of things, I guess not Adam and Eve, but um, uh, Vix and Video and others, um, were kind of producing this, this very polished type of content. Now anybody with a webcam and uh, some internet bandwidth can get involved. Mm -hmm. um, and once you get involved enough, um, these larger companies will sort of get involved with you, pick you up, and then that content starts to get uh, posted as well. What's the payoff for the young women who choose to be involved in this? Is it, is it financial? Is it emotional? What is it? Well, I think that, you know, many of them are certainly drawn to making a lot of money. Um, it feels like an awful lot of money when you're 18 if somebody says you can make 500 or $800 just for a few hours of work. Um, and, you know, some of them also say, well, I like sex. Uh, some of them say, um, I'm doing it anyway. One of the young women in the movie says, you know, people are seeing it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. Why not make money off of it? And I think this gets back to a bit about what Brian's talking about is for many young people today, if they're already taking pictures of themselves naked or partly naked or sharing videos of themselves doing sexual things with people, there is some sense for some of them of, well, I'm doing this anyway. And people at my school may even be passing it around and sharing it. So everyone's seeing it anyway. So why shouldn't I walk out of here the winner with a lot of money? Mm -hmm. And of course, they you know they don't have the same sensibilities or like in terms of finances that older adults ho hopefully do. Though not everyone does. But so even when I watch the movie, you know, there's there's one scene where a young woman is told to go buy a certain outfit. I'm like, she's probably not calculating the time she's going to the store and the expenses for the outfit. Mm -hmm. She has to buy all of this in what she thinks of as making the money in just a couple hours because there's actually a lot of preparation she mm -hmm. also has to do. And it costs a lot, and so they don't they don't leave the industry with much money, but they do leave with leaving videos on the internet that will be there likely forever. So, and I assume other people will be able to make money off of those indefinitely. Yes. But they're paid for a one-time acting gig, quote unquote. Yeah, in most cases. That's right, and as unless they start operating their own site mm -hmm. and 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 doing getting revenue that way, one of the big things that's starting to make money now, or has been making money for the last few years is camming, live cams, where you can interact with the individuals that you're interested in talking to. Um, and that's actually, that's taken some of the money away from the, 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 the straight video with an actual story and those types of things. The other thing is piracy has really just devastated 
um, the industry, and they won't say that they're devastated, but if you talk, I, I talked to a couple of, um, of folks that work with industry trade publications, and they'll tell you that the industry is worth anywhere from, a, you know, one quarter to a half less than it was mm. um, just 10, 15 years ago. Uh, they, they'll talk about sort of that golden age where they were really bringing in the money when the internet first started got, getting going because they were just finding all kinds of new ways to bring money in. But with piracy, once these... Uh, these videos get posted, they get posted so many different places. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that a lot of these sites now that operate um, and selling this content, they don't just make money through banner ads and subscriptions, they make it through traffic brokering. So if I click on a, uh, a link on one site and it takes me to another site, um, that site that I just linked to might get, or the site that linked me to that site might get a couple of cents or even quarter or of a cent. But if you do that 40,000 times, uh, you're starting to look at some serious money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about uh, the film uh, "Hot Girls Wanted" that was uh, that made its debut at the Sundance Film Festival over the weekend. Uh, faculty members from Indiana University and the Kinsey Institute were co-producers on the film, and uh, Debbie Urbanek and Bryant Paul are in the studio with us today. If you have a question or a comment, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So I, I guess I'm the old guy in the room. I got, got to be the one to bring it up. And this seems like such a such a severe cultural shift over time. Um, you know, over and, a short period yeah, of time. Yeah, I mean, people of, have been having sex forever, short. and there's been pornography in some sense forever. Um, but the idea that, that, you know, normal, I mean, just girl next door, boy next door, whatever, will say now, you know, I, I don't mind having sex on camera and putting it on the internet. If, if I'm going to do it anyway, I might as well show people I'm doing it and make money. That was kind of unheard of in the mainstream, I'd say, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right? I mean, what's, hap- what's happened? How's, that, how's this changed over time? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting thought because I do think there, there probably is some level of shift for sure. Um, but, you know, we're also, it's also more visible now. So there were certainly always people who would maybe, you know, go be strippers in another city for a while or shoot porn somewhere. But if it was only available on VHS, then maybe people wouldn't find out. But one of the points made in this movie is that one of the agents who's profiled in the movie, you know, he says that a lot of these 18 and 19 and 20 year old girls who come to, and, and they are they are targeting very young women. I mean, just barely legal as, you know, as we'll say 18 year olds to come down. But he said, you know, they always think no one's going to find out. And he said, but it's on the internet and everyone watches porn. And so within a month, you know, within a month, their parents, their friends, the people they went to school with find out. You know, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You're, <coughs> pardon me. The, <laughs> You're rubbing off on me. <laughs> Excuse me, your phrase, um, everyone watches porn. I've heard that more and more often. I don't think that's true. I don't think everybody does watch porn. But are there any studies being done about the percentage of people who do watch porn, Brian? Yeah. Yes. And, and by the yeah. way, when I say everyone, I don't mean every single person. But but I think the point is But I mean, that is a phrase so that's used a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm, yeah. And we have data. I mean, this suggests that anywhere from uh, to 50 to 80 to 90 percent of, of college-age males or males aged 18 to, to 30 or so uh, watch at at least you know once uh, a month or once uh, a week even mm-hmm. depending on the number and the number of women that are they consume porn um, or at least the number of women that are saying that they consume porn in terms of and maybe it, it used to be culturally a little bit less acceptable to say that you did um, are is increasing as well so I mean we I've seen numbers anywhere from between uh, fifteen and and sixty percent for mm-hmm. for women so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe everyone doesn't watch, but the, there is actually a majority, certainly a plurality of, of individuals that probably, I would say, have and do. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the percentages are quite high for the age group that the people involved in the filming are going to be interacting Absolutely. With. And, you know, and people watch porn for different reasons. So some people are watching porn for their own sexual arousal. But there are also many of my students in my human sexuality classes, they may have watched it, you know, to be to see what, you know, some women will say, well, I want to see what guys like or I want to see what I'm supposed to do when I start having sex. Both men and women will say that because where else are they really going to learn exactly what you do? Right. And um, in the back of the bus like the rest well, of us. Well, that, that's a really interesting <laughs> point, though. That, 
that's a really interesting point because that's what we're finding more and more. And this is some sort of one of the one of the sort of prefaces to a lot of the literature that you'll see um, on the effects of pornography now will be, you know, porn has become part of the sex education process, and it really has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're getting even if you're getting a, a comprehensive sex education or even abstinence only education in a, a school. Um, they're, they're still not talking about positions. What happens when the lights go down? You know, and the media, uh, media representations do provide mainstream media representations provide a great deal of what happens just before the lights go down and what happens when the covers or the sheets are over the bodies. But they don't show what happens once you know underneath those covers un- once those lights have gone down. And so people are curious. They do want to know. Uh, and this is all part of you know what we talked about a great deal. I think at the at the festival, what people were asking, well, what can we do? And uh, my advice is, th- there needs to be a a comprehensive discussion, uh, mm-hmm. conversation that takes place throughout life. It can't be just the conversation. You can't just have the 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 talk, the birds and the bees uh, around age eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, whatever it is. Oh. Um, and one thing I want to go back to, we were talking about you know the the change that's happened in the last ten to fifteen years. A lot of what we're seeing is the reason it's so shocking is because the media has changed enormously in the last 25 years. And really, it's, it's a function of the digitization that we've seen uh, in media. Everything is available to everybody, mm-hmm. social networking mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And so two interesting things. One is that for, for kids today or teens or young adults, there's no such thing really anymore as the media world the, and the real world. There's just the world. These, these two things have kind of conflated. Um, and secondly, one thing to point out is even the, the women that have gotten out of the industry uh, that, that are depicted in the film, they're not sorry. They don't feel like they made really a mistake. They're, in fact, they're glad that they did it. So it's, they're just looking at it as another life experience, and that sort of, I think, gives you an idea of how much things may have changed in the last couple of decades. Well, and again, when you talk about women who have gotten out of the industry, I mean, what's the age group you're talking about? So you're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old girls getting into the industry, are they 22, 23, 24? Not even usually. No, they're 18 when they leave. (laughs) The average average, um, uh, lifespan in this industry, and that's a really important point to make, and that is the amateur porn industry that's operating out of Florida. That's what they covered in the film, and so we're not talking about the the large corporate industry that's taking Mm -hmm. place in, in California or that's moving into Nevada now. But uh, they they usually, the average length of career is three to six months. Three to six months, right? And, and what, yet it's available indefinitely, exactly, in perpetuity. And, and and even one of the one of the girls, actually one of the the, the boyfriends of one of the the girls in the film, um, says, "What's amazing is how much you created while you were in." Mm-hmm. And so she's got For this just three months, right? Yeah, this yeah. enormous body of work that will be available for Do they have any concerns? And of course, I haven't seen the film, but do they have any concerns about? Um, people's opinion of them as they're older or once they become a parent? You know, they don't, in the film, they don't really talk about, you know, looking outward like that, that far into the future. Um, I imagine some of them will, and I imagine them, some of them won't, and we'll chalk it up to another life experience, um, as we see with, you know, people who have been in, in kind of the older porn industry or stripping and so on, too. Uh, I looked at a review, I think it was from Variety that was online today, and, and it talks about how, you know, through the film, the filmmakers were able to communicate this extreme content without including any X-rated footage. Uh, so, you know, this film that we're talking about, the documentary, uh, there's only brief nudity, um, and it's relatively discreet, the reviewer says. So, can you explain how you how you went about, or how the film was done, and what, if somebody goes to see the documentary, sees the film, what are they going to be watching? I thought they did an incredible job with the editing of this and the filming of it. Um, you can see how you know there there are some scenes where they're actually filming the the directors of Hot Girls Wanted are filming other people filming porn if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So they're on set, and one of the angles, for example, they are behind the camera, so you can see somebody's head. You can see the actress's head, but you don't see her naked torso. And you know, there's also just some of the editing where maybe someone's taking off clothes or they're angled a certain way. So you're not you're not seeing um, you know people's genitals, for example. And I thought it was very tastefully done. They made a conscious choice to not um, reproduce more naked mm-hmm. images of these young women um, or men. And and yeah, that was it. Was interesting to see how well they did that. It was kind of incredible, actually. The, it, the fact that they could go to an, an abusive uh, oral sex. Uh, shoot an actual um, from from a, a, for a site called Latina Abuse, um, and 
and the, and and just and depict really what's going on there, where the, the woman is made to to vomit on purpose and then actually slurp up her own vomit afterwards. I mean, as disgusting as that sounds, and they depict this, but they don't show any real explicit nudity while this is taking place. They show her face. They show her, her eyes. eyes uh, yeah. That's something that, that is shown quite a bit. The, the eyes as they get bloodshot from being choked and being um, being gagged and that kind of thing. And so, uh, and I'm, obviously the people listening aren't in the studio, but I'm looking at the interviewers and their eyes are, are bulging out of their heads. And there were times in the, um, in the theater where you would see people gasp. There were a few people that would leave when those uh, scenes were depicted. And again, if you actually watch, there's really not that much explicitness in terms of nudity um, that's, that's depicted. You never see male genitals, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't think you see female genitals. You Mm-mm. see some top, female toplessness. Yeah, I know, but now I have that in my head and I'll never be able to get it out. Right. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> we have a phone call. Uh, Stan is on the line. Stan's from Bloomington. Go ahead, Stan. Hi. Uh, I'm tuning in late, so this has been covered already. I apologize. But what, uh, what has been done in terms of education for communicable diseases and uh, providing these young girls with some knowledge of how to protect themselves? I think that's a terrific question, Stan. And, um, you know, I don't think that these young women and men going into the industry have had, most of them, probably enough education about that. I also think that's true of young people everywhere throughout the country. The college students that I get here at IU, when they come into my human sexuality class, most of them, truly most of them, don't know much about STIs. Many of them have seen the really scary extreme pictures in schools and have been told just don't have sex or use a condom, but not much more than that. So that's often one of the things that they say is very valuable about taking a class here at IU about human sexuality because they learn what each of the infections are, how they're transmitted, how you prevent them, which ones they can get cured, and so on. What's striking in, in Hot Girls Wanted is there are there there is a scene where that the issue about testing comes up and infections comes up. And, you know, the young woman says, well, look, you know, we, we get tested for chlamydia and stuff. And that's true. Like, there, there is some required testing that's involved in the porn industry. What many people don't realize and most Americans don't realize is that there are only a few infections that um, anyone, whether it's in the porn industry or even the CDC, kind of, re, you know, requires reporting of. And um, they're just a few. And so there are other infections mm-hmm. that are not tested for in the porn industry and that um, sometimes have longer term consequences than, than chlamydia, for example, and that they're just not addressing. And so I think that, you know, Bryant and I keep talking about that we think there's a lot of opportunities for education because porn's not going you know, away. But I do think that if there could be more information so that people could make informed choices about is this is this what I want to do with my life? What are the risks? What are you know, what are the benefits? What are the the challenges I need to think about? Um, so that I can make an informed choice about mm-hmm. this. It's interesting, though. You know, we've had Jill Bolte-Taylor on the program, and, and her motto is keep him alive till 25 because mm-hmm. she feels like that's when the brain uh, really matures. But we have 18-year-olds making these choices, um, and, you know, informed, yes, but, you know, with a brain that's not even completely developed. Yeah, there's a, it's interesting you bring that up because there was one, uh, I think, director or producer a year or two ago. Ryan, you probably saw this. There was some director and his company makes a decent amount of films, but actually made the made the personal choice to stop including actors or actresses younger than 21 and said, you know, in my experience filming over the years, there's just such a gulf of development between 18 and 21 that I'll, I just won't work with talent, um, you know, younger than that. So mm-hmm. so I think that, uh, you know, I wish there were more people that would follow suit in some of those ways, but there are some okay. differences. All right, Stan. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. If you have a question or a comment, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. We will be right back after a short break. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. And IU School of Public Health Bloomington. Online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. 
You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at WFIU.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news. Okay, welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're talking about uh, a documentary that made its debut, a film that made its debut at the Sundance Film Festival over the weekend. It's called Hot Girls Wanted, and we have co-producers of the film, Debbie Herbenick from the School of Public Health at Indiana University and Bryant Paul from the Department of Telecommunications in the Media School at Indiana University. Both are affiliated with the Kinsey Institute. If uh, you want to join us on the program, please give us a call, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So the, um, I, I think, again, this review that I read this morning talked about how the film mainly is, it doesn't really take a position on pornography, but it's more more or less trying to say this is what's happening and people who are getting into the industry should really be more, maybe perhaps more aware of what they're getting into. Is that a fair characterization, do you think? I think so. I, that, that was one of the, re- the, the reasons I really wanted to get involved in the project when I first met Jill and Rana was they were, they're so objective. I mean, they are good at what they do. Um, and they're not trained specifically as filmmakers. They were journalists. Uh, one was a photojournalist. One was a, a writer for the Miami Herald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, they again, it's amazing to see what they come up with when you, when you know that. So they um, don't take a position. They just say, this is what... We observe. I think that they, I mean, I think that there's the one position. I mean, that, yeah, I want to know right. what their point of view is. Sure. Yeah. I think the one position that they take is that this is an endemic to the culture that has been created for uh, young people. Now, that is, it's, it's, it, they do, they, they view it as, and that's sort of the, the point that they try and make, but there's a lot of cut ins with fair use pop culture um, clips. Uh, from Miley Cyrus and Robin Thicke and and and, mm-hmm. and um, Drake and another other, number of other pop culture icons, and they're, they're kind of trying to make the point that these a lot of kids these days or, or or teens or young adults have sort of parasocial relationships where they believe they're part of that culture, mm-hmm. and so when they then take the next step into filming and distributing their own work, it seems natural. Hmm. Interesting. Is anybody um, from Kinsey or anywhere else mounting? I, I think it'd be so fascinating to do kind of a long-term follow-up with these young women who do this to see how you know they they feel about it ten, fifteen, twenty years from now. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's doing that, but I think it's interesting. Do you? I, I'm not aware of it. I mean, there are you know you see occasional articles and and pieces mm-hmm. in popular uh, press magazines and and publications mm-hmm. where they talk to folks that got out of the industry a number of years ago. But again, those folks are going to be very different. I have a feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know that, but right from this more amateur approach, well, yeah, especially because there's no real way of finding out who all these people are, right? So there's no way to, no easy way anyway, to to follow up the people who only stay in the industry for a month or two, which is pretty common to stay in the industry for a month or two. So even the people that I think of who have been profiled in the media, like Jenna Jameson, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she was in it for so long and she was a star. And so they're, you know, those are the people who are often profiled later on. You know, this this is maybe a really, you know, 60,000 foot view of all this but I you know I think about all the things uh, in culture that have been you know horrible things or considered like I, I think I'm thinking about politics so you know 20 years ago somebody Bill Clinton smokes marijuana but he doesn't inhale you know and now you know I think a lot of people even from you know from my generation growing up in the 60s and the 70s are like if a politician didn't smoke marijuana or you know I, I don't trust them you know, I mean, so what happens when, you know, not what happens, but I'm, I'm just assuming, I'm thinking 10 years from now, some young woman, very bright young woman, runs for Congress at age 32, and a film comes out about her. You know, I mean, I, I think, again, this is, this is, 
probably going to happen 10 or 15 years ago if we have, you know, tens of thousands of young women who have done this when they're 18, 19, 20 years old, and then they get into a professional career at some point down the road. I mean, is that, is, I guess I'm, you know, so are you making, thinking that they're making peers, comments, but are, do you think their peers then won't judge them harshly because their I'm, peers I'm will have had the same cultural I'm just, I'm just experience? Off, yeah, I'm just offering that it's a, as a it's question. a possibility. I mean, yeah. you know, look who was judging uh, Bill Clinton when he was talking about the you know the use of marijuana, um, and that, that's something that I talked a lot about at the festival is this sort of the divide between the generations between uh, you know media generations, and and the fact is I think a lot of um, Older people, people over 50, 60, 70 years in their 70s, they look at, at new media. And we all do this. We look at new media as an artifact of the media that we grew up with. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of, uh, of older people that didn't, they grew up with, without the Internet, I actually didn't have the Internet until I was a graduate student. Um, you know, we looked at it when I first, well, what is email? What exactly? I mean, the fact that we call it email, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, these are all, art, we, we do tend to view these things as artifacts. And so what I think... I think your point is really well taken and, and, very, and a very interesting one. Probably, if this, if and when this happens, uh, initially there will be a generation of people that will say, "I don't trust this person. I have a real problem with that." And then slowly, that that the view of the individuals that grew up with this stuff as very natural, as where sexting was a common thing. There's a, a, a recent study that just came out that was basically talking about. Uh, that sexting has become part of the dating process now. It's become sort of a natural, a natural developmental part of you know sending sending sexual co- uh, photos of yourself to your your partner is just sort of part of the process. So as that generation sort of takes over, becomes the majority. I could see how the, the things could change. Mm-hmm. You know, we've never said in our discussion where people can see the film. Are they going to screen it at IU Cinema or, or where? Can we, we're yeah. hoping it'll be at the cinema. Um, yeah, we are. We're hoping. It, but Netflix also just got distribution rights for it. So it'll be available later this year. They, they promised me that they would be bringing it to IU Cinema. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but they... Mm-hmm. <laughs> they and I- I think the Indie Film Festival is hoping to get it. I don't know if that's happening. It's, There'll be at some other film festivals. Right. But, but the, the easiest way to see it will be in Netflix later this year. And, yes, we, we are very much hoping, hoping for the I cinema. Right. We have a question from our live chat that says, are the modern mindsets about porn the same for females and males? I don't think so. I don't think <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't think that they are, but I think that they are moving towards each other more than they ever have. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I think that um, you know when you're asking about well, at w- at what point might this become okay to be in some woman's past? I think it's you know we're probably still a ways out. I think mm-hmm. that you know it was really striking even in a TED talk a couple years ago when Melinda Gates um, was able to talk openly about the fact that she used birth control. Um, and that they planned their family, you know, st- and she's not a politician, but this very famous woman. I mean, there's, you know, I can't think of many, um, there are a few, but not many women who can even talk openly about having had abortions. Um, and certainly not many men who talk about that either. I mean, so there's still so, there's still such a double standard around women and their sexual behavior that I do think that we have a ways to go. There have been some some cases I know of some women who have run for maybe like local politics, not here in Bloomington, but I, a few years ago there were some things I saw in the paper and some of these women had, you know, sexy photos from Facebook, like Halloween, you know, sort of like slutty Halloween costumes, if you will, that um, that were being used. And there are, there are, is some movement. There's a documentary now called like, I think it's the, the Unslut Project and the Unslut Documentary. So there are some, there are some movements to start challenging this double standard we have around women and sexuality. But I think we have a little bit further to go. You know, we t- you made mention of um, something that was in the film, a, a young woman being, I would consider that Act that you described being abused, being and abused, they yeah. and they focus. I mean, some many sites are actually that's what they're all about is mm-hmm. some form of sexual abuse right. and humiliation. Um, so, w- w- I would expect a feminist outcry on this. What w- do the filmmakers talk about that at all? They don't talk specifically about that. I think that um, you know what's clear though is that these women are choosing to act in those films. So they talk about their, the actresses do talk about their choice to be in those and how they feel about being in those films. Um, I think that some people out in the world, and this is also um, mentioned in the film too, some people have a belief that perhaps if they act in, or if there are films like this, that it may reduce the likelihood of real violence in the world to real people. And that's a challenging thought. And I think Bryant, Bryant can probably address that better, but that 
that idea comes up and that question comes up. Right. Yeah. The the evidence for whether there's an actual cathartic effect uh, is is mixed um, mm-hmm. in terms of you know. Um, real-time, uh, short-term effects, there's not a whole lot of evidence out there that, that, does, that, that supports it. In terms of long-term uh, sort of social societal effects, there is some evidence that as pornography distribution increases in certain areas, we do see sexual assault rates uh, go down. But that doesn't necessarily mean abusive um, violent pornography, and that's I think. Yeah, I'm uh, not buying mm-hmm. it. Right. Yeah, I think that's very counterintuitive. It is, it is, and it's a challenging moment of the film for me because you know this one person f- really feels that that's true, and you know with nothing sort of to back it up. Well, yeah, yeah. Also, I mean, these there. young women who are saying yes, by, yes, by all means, sign me up. I want to be abused, and I want you to film it. That sounds good to me. Well, one one of the problems I think is that that even if they do find it empowering there are that content when consumed by somebody else is potentially has, has the potential to lead to dehumanization right. I, ideas of objectification and, and and callousness on the part of the viewer and that's i think that's you know when you brought up feminism i think that that's a it's a tough issue right now because if you even search the internet for responses like to this film um, you know, or to other other just conversations around sex work or pornography, you see some women who say, "Well, you know, I'm a feminist, and I think you should be able to choose this, and you do what you do what you want with your body." And other women say, "No, I'm a feminist, and you know, I think that we should be portrayed respectfully." And and so there's there is even a debate within feminist identified women and men about kind of what stance do you take on this? Yeah, before the show, we were talking about the the book. Is it Gail Dines or? Deans, do you know? I don't know who's Deans. Deans, yeah. And in, in her book, Pornland, um, she talks. She says that she feels like uh, mass-produced, uh, or that pornography is a mass-produced vi- vision of sex that is profoundly sexist and destructive, and limits our ability to create authentic, equal relationships free of violence and degradation. Does do the does the film talk about that at all? I mean, does it take a long view at all, or is it just really focusing on? I mean, it does. It does look at the relationships that some of these girls have with, mm-hmm. you know, their boyfriends or, 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 you know, dating relationships. I think that just as, you know, the film has at times been criticized for being uh, overly simplistic in presenting one side or the other, and it, I really don't. This is not an anti-porn film. That, that's an important thing mm-hmm, to remember. Right. It, it really is just telling a story. I think that Dean's view is somewhat oversimplistic as well. Um, you, you cannot uh, generalize about this, about everything that's out there. There is an entire movement of sexually explicit material that the, the, the feminist pornography, where and they, there's a feminist, porns award, uh, feminist porn award that goes out each year. And one of the things that they, that they require in that content is no violence, uh, both partners experiencing pleasure, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and a number of other things that, that I think are very pro-social. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that there is a market for that. What I think we, we're trying to point out, or one of the things that I like to point out, is that we need to help society at some level become more willing and, and desiring of con- consuming that kind of content. Mm-hmm. To recognize, and this is some of the research that I've done, where we're doing a, a massive content analysis. Debbie has been involved in some of this as well, of online uh, uh, pornographic videos, and I've had students that we've trained and had them code uh, over five thousand videos for various uh, behaviors, but also aggression, what people say to each other, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And when you have people deconstruct these videos and break them into their parts, they start noticing things that they didn't realize were there before. Mm-hmm. And I think the function, the, the, the fact is. Sex is, and, and sexuality is such a strong emotion, such a strong physiological response that people go online and they'll watch or, or watch DVDs or watch sexual content and they're becoming aroused mm-hmm. be, because they're watching sexual contact. Mm-hmm. They don't notice. They're not, they're not watching it because they want Some people do, absolutely. But some people, you know, they want to see violence and aggression and dehumanization and that kind of thing. But there's a lot of people, and I, I would say probably the majority of people that go on to watch for sexual arousal, but they're seeing dehumanization, mm-hmm. uh, 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 objectification and those types of things, violence, aggression, and they're internalizing it. But when you actually point it out for them or you force them to notice it, mm-hmm. they really start to respond differently to the content. And, that's and they don't want to see it after that. Mm-hmm. Well, that whole desensitiz- mm-hmm. desensitization, if I could get the word out. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, in that, I, I think that is just a huge source of concern. And, and I do think that, you know, of course, performing abusive acts, as, as you described, is um, uh, for... Uh, 
pleasurable consumption. I, you know, I, I don't know. Just well, and I, th- I think you I know, can't get my brain wrapped around it. Right. Yeah. The, I think a, the important point that you know Brian's making though is to to help people take a more critical view of of what whatever media they're watching, but porn included. And so I think you know this view that does it completely limit people's ability to form intimate, meaningful relationships. No, mm-hmm. um, but I do think that it is one of the stumbling blocks along the way in development. And so it's something you deal with, and you say, you know, with with my students, for example. Well, our data from the National Survey of Sexual Health and Behavior that our team does in the School of Public Health, we see, for example, several years ago when we got these data back, we saw that across the lifespan, about 30% of women had pain during sex when they had vaginal intercourse, but really high numbers for young women and also really high numbers for young men and really high numbers of erectile problems for young men. And you look at this and you think their bodies are young and healthy. What's going on? And I would take these data into my college students and, you know, their sense of it, well, when we start out, we don't know what we're doing. We do what we see in porn. We have very, you know, hard, vigorous sex and it's hurting both people. And, at, you know, and at some point they figure it out, you know, so they mm-hmm. they adjust, they talk, they figure it out. They realize that real sex is not at all like porn. They realize, you know, their partner may try something on them that they don't like. And then they say, I don't like that and don't do that. So so it is it, it is it's it's a challenge for young people. It is not everyone, but for a lot of them, it is. And they have to grapple with how do you. How do you create a relationship that feels good to you and that feels intimate and that feels respectful? Mm-hmm. All right. We have another phone call. Uh, Derek from Bloomington is on the line. Derek? Yes. Hi. I uh, just want to compliment the show. If this were 10 years ago, it seems like there'd be a lot of, uh, let's say, prudish people on denying that pornography even existed. But the, I think the filmmaker's approach is quite good and quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But if and they were talking about um, violence if you want to see violence uh, against women, just watch CSI or A Criminal Mind. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Every time the show is on. And it's even worse than porn, I think. Uh, and maybe you could comment on that. It's not only in the porn industry, but also on major media sources. And I, I went to the sex workers show at the Union Building a couple years ago and was amazed about how many of them had very active interest outside of porn, or outside of what they did. Uh, one is studying to be a lawyer, another was an artist, another was a writer, another was a musician, and I just thought that people too much focus on what they're doing on the screen rather their entire total life and what they do. And, and there was a movie the other night at IU uh, Cinema called Exposed. Mm-hmm. It's about, um, <clears throat> not Vaudeville, what am I thinking of? Um, um, Burlesque. Well, yes, thanks. Burlesque. And some of those burlesque things were pretty racy. Um, and then I went to the Kinsey and I saw stuff that would <laughs> not shock you, but you'd say, wow, they did this thousands of years ago? You know, the drawings they have at the Kinsey. Sure. They get collections of that. So just wondering if you could comment on that, like the holistic nature maybe of mind and body and people deciding what they do with it and the violence in the major media that probably outstrips, no pun intended, outstrips violence in in pornography. All right, Derek, thanks. I think, uh, you know, we'll just go back to the CSI, Criminal Minds, some of the shows that that appear on regular network television and... Yeah, well, what's interesting is is to consider potentially the cyclical nature of this, right? Mm-hmm. That is, is it, and this is something that's argued about consistently, and, and there are those that claim that it's porn culture and, and, and a, a porn aesthetic that's working its way into mainstream media, and then it's also, there are those that are saying that, that, um, that the mainstream media is uh, uh, affecting porn because if the mainstream media is getting more and more uh, racy, then pornography has to get more and more racy. I think it's both. I think that there is a it, there's an interaction um, that's that's taking place where um, look at the look at the porn industry when a uh, particular person becomes famous, all of a sudden there'll be three, four spoofs of that mm-hmm. that person. You know, uh, the, the there'll be there was the nail and palin. Um, uh, line of film or, or, or film, um, you know, there, there's a tendency, I think, at one level in the pornography industry to to berate and and sexualize everything that they see in the real world because they know that that's something that people might be able to latch onto and will find interesting or desirable. And there's a, there's a uh, uh, the, the fact that the the mainstream media, particularly television and film, because they're competing with so many other 
media these days and social media and, and, and people have so many choices and it's so interactive and so user driven that they're trying to put anything out. They're casting as wide a net as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually what you see in the porn industry as well is they're, they're putting everything into every video as far as sex acts and violence and aggression and everything because they're hoping to get the attention of whoever they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, you know, maybe somebody will like this part or maybe somebody will like that part. One of the really interesting things that the directors talked about was while they're on set um, of, of a shoot, of a porn shoot, they will be on the phone with the site operator saying, well, which sites, which, which are our videos are getting uh, more hits right now? The wow. ones where they ejaculate on the back, on the, on the face. Wow. Uh, or where wearing they do these... pink or green underwear. Exactly. I mean, really, wow. and are being essentially just told, we'll do this because this formula is working. Right. And I think, you know, when we think about those mainstream TV shows, one of the things that some scholars have pointed out is that for many of those crime shows, that many of the, the female murder victims um, have often been doing something sexual, getting back to that mm-hmm. double standard mm-hmm. that if you step outside somehow and you're involved in BDSM or yeah. porn or a stripper or whatever, yeah. that you're more likely to be killed. And so that's an interesting thing that some people have noted. It's not my research specifically, but it's, it is interesting. Yep. Yeah. All right, Derek. Oh, thanks very much. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. If you have a comment or a question, 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And you can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition. You know, I have a feeling that we're going to be hearing a lot about this film in the next uh, several months or year. Um, Again, I'm going back and reference the the Variety Review. Um, you two are, are mentioned in here, right along with uh, the producer who most people probably have heard of, Rashida Jones. And uh, those of you who know who Rashida Jones is, she's been in you know numerous television shows, movies, and mm-hmm. uh, very well-known. Uh, it does say about you two, Kinsey researchers Debbie Urbanek and Bryant Paul provide welcome context with factual information that appears on screen at regular intervals. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, how far do you think this film is going to go? What do you see as a future of this documentary? Wow, that's a, a, a an interesting question, but who knows? Uh, I, I hope it goes, you know, for, for, uh, two things. One, it's not a perfect film. Um, there are things that I think we both talked about. So oh, I wish we'd done that or they had done that and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But but it's, it's – it's, it's a great film. But it's a great film. <laughs> and it's, it, and it's I, important. I, I, yeah. yeah. It's an, it's an important it's so film. Important. It's, this is, to me – a film that can help start that conversation mm-hmm. we were talking about. One of the things you notice in one of the depictions is the uh, the girl that we follow home and, and we meet her boyfriend, and is that she comes from such a nice family. She comes from you know she she just had such a uh, she was the the, the, the lead cheerleader mm-hmm. had friends you know and 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 really there was no abuse or anything that they talked. I mean, I'm sure there was other. Well, things there are those who would argue being a, a cheerleader is also a very sexualized thing. But go ahead. I guess that's true, um, but. The, I think I guess my point is that that they just sort of the one thing that you you kind of get the sense is that they she never got any dis, there was never any discussion about this aspect yeah. and I think that's one of the real things that certainly intergenerationally mm-hmm. right now parents are struggling with talking to their kids because they just mm-hmm. and I think Debbie can speak to this a little bit as well yeah and I can't wait to show this film to my students right. I really I can't wait um, Jill and Rana were here in the spring like I said when you know when Bryant came and spoke in my class and I also had them just. You know, they, at that point, they had been doing a lot of filming, but I had them just make themselves available to my students. And my students just an, you know, ask all kinds of questions about the realities of this porn industry. Mm-hmm. And they were such a wealth of information for me and for my students. So I can't wait to show it to them when it's available. I can't wait um, to tell other sexuality educators around the country about it because I think it's it's what Bryant said. It's important to start a conversation mm-hmm. um, about what people are consuming, how they feel about it, about what people, what types of media people are creating. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do need throughout this country more conversations about sexuality between parents and their kids and in schools. You know, it used to be, um, we talked about this a bit at Sundance and one of the Q&As, but you know, it used to be that if you were well-educated, you were probably well-educated on a range of topics because your school provided a lot of, um, you know, possibilities. But even now, if you're in the best school district or your parents have been able to, you know, afford a wonderful private education for you, the chances that you have, you know, really quality sexuality education are still very low. And and that's a shame. And I see that all the time when I get to my students on the first day in class. It's probably less than 5% that I would say have a decent knowledge of sexuality education Mm -hmm. so okay if you're a parent listening to this how do you provide a decent sexual i mean obviously as you said you don't start at the you start and and integrate it uh growing up but 
Um, what do you recommend? Yeah, I, well, it's you know, it's it's more than a thirty second advice, sure. but, I, but I think that you know the key thing is that you keep a conversation going, you keep your son, yourself somewhat askable and comfortable. My students will talk about sometimes you know feeling like they could go to their parents with anything, and when their parents did, they got very mad at them for saying something like I wanted to go on birth control or go to a gynecologist or how do I get condoms, and their parents get very upset. So I think if you do have that freak out moment, which is common because you're scared for your kid, at least come back to them at another point and say you know I'm re- I'm really sorry I had that reaction Mm -hmm. and you know I care about you and I want Mm -hmm. you know this to be comfortable to be as engaged as you can without being creepy about their media consumption about texting about the sites that they're on Um, some you know some of the young girls even locally that I've talked to middle school age um, really hide their media use from their parents and are using it you know to meet to meet kids locally and sometimes not in great situations and so you know, it's it's hard. The two books that I recommended when this issue came up at Sundance, one is called From Diapers to Dating by Deborah Hafner, which was written before a lot of this media stuff came up, but it has very good advice regardless. And the second one is a very recent book called Got Teens by Logan Levkoff, um, and, and, and uh, I can't remember her co-author's name right now, but a terrific book that's very new, very recent, and deals with all kinds of issues, including media use. Mm-hmm. Hey, I wanted to ask really quickly, um, you said there's a, a film that came out before this called Sexy Baby, mm-hmm. same uh, directors. Would you recommend people watch Sexy Baby and then watch this one? Yes. Okay. So or, is or that either or. or I mean, yeah. yeah. Either, oh, okay. They're so, different topics, either yeah. first or second. Second, the second, second one makes sense if you don't see the first one. Okay, yeah. and yeah. then um, do you know off the top of your heads if that one is available? That is on, on that's on Netflix, available. I believe. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, and, and that deals with more the tweens, and then the second film deals with more eighteen and eighteen, 18 to twenty. Well, the second something. film really deals specifically with <clears throat> the amateur porn industry and women right. that got involved in that. The other one is really more about mainstream, I think, sexualization. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Be an interesting one too. Yeah, they're they're yeah. very different topics, but they're they're both good films. I mean, when I when they first reached out to me and and. <clears throat> And uh, I was, you know, learning about them. I watched Sexy Baby to say, well, you know, who are these women? What's right. their work like? And I thought they just treated young people so respectfully and this this challenging issue of media use so respectfully and, and smartly. Yeah. Well, I just brought up the, the future of the documentary because it seems like it's such an important topic. And mm-hmm. a lot of the, the role of uh, the media and arts in general is to take topics that people aren't maybe isn't getting the kind of discussion and exposure that – that you know, everybody, everybody might, or a lot of people know about it a little bit, but they don't really understand it. And it seems like this is that's what this documentary does. I completely agree. And and there there were times when we were, you know, there and, and you try not to pay attention to immediate feedback and on Twitter and that that sort of thing. And people would say, oh, they're just everybody knows that this is going on. They didn't need to make a film about it. And I just, you know, I think that's such a naive uh, reaction, as if. You know, well, we know that there's atrocities going on somewhere in the world, but do we not need to know about them? Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that they've documented this in, in, in the way that they did, and I really think they did a fair job, mm-hmm. is is so valuable. Mm-hmm. All right. We are out of time. I want to thank Debbie Herbenick and Bryant Paul for being here with us today. Also for my co-host, Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer uh, Lacey Scarmana, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville Communications, serving southern Indiana with fiber gigabit internet and digital IPTV. More information at smithville.net. And from School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined. Addressing 21st Century Health Challenges with a Multidisciplinary Approach to Disease Prevention, Health Promotion, and Enhancing Quality of Life. publichealth.indiana.edu